0: Section 11 of the Indian Storybook This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by S.K. Edison, New Jersey The Indian Storybook by Richard Wilson Story 3. The Five Tall Sons of Pandu, Parts 4 and 5 Part 4 now Duryodhan had returned from the royal festival, filled with still greater jealousy towards Yudhishthira, and determined to find some means of bringing about his fall. He knew that in spite of all his wisdom and piety, Yudhishthira had one great weakness, an inordinate love of the dice-box, which was one of the most common vices among the princes and nobles of the time. Duryodhan made up his mind to use this weakness in Yudhishthira's nature to bring about his fall. He had a friend and ally named Prince Shakuni who had spent a great part of his life in learning how to load the dice and other wicked devices which would give him undue advantage in the vicious game of chance. This prince, at the instigation of Duryodhana, challenged Yudhishthir to a game and the king held it a point of honour not to refuse such an invitation. He even left his own capital and came with Queen Draupadi and his mother and brothers to Duryodhana's own city in order to play the game with Shakuni. The contest began and Yudhishthira lost game after game, but with the recklessness and fatal hope of the inveterate gambler, still went on playing and steadily losing first his wealth in gold, silver and jewels, then his lordly elephants and shining chariots, then his slaves both male and female and in time his kingdom itself mad with disappointed rage and still fired with that fatal hope of regaining all by one lucky stroke the king staked his brothers his own freedom and most piteous of all the queen whom arjun had won for him and whom he had learned to love with deep devotion Thus the proud king and newly anointed emperor, the honoured friend of Krishna, became the bond-slave of Duryodhana. The sad news was brought to the blind old king, from whose sightless eyes the tears fell in heaviness of sorrow. Yet by my royal throne, he said, the five tall sons of Pandu shall not serve Prince Duryodhana as slaves. They shall at least be free to roam the forest and it may be that after a time of trial the gods will restore them once more to power and happiness and deeper wisdom than they have shown they shall pass twelve years in complete exile and one year in close concealment meanwhile queen Draupadi was living happily in the royal palace all unaware of the foolish and fatal game which is being played in another apartment suddenly there came creeping into the room like a sneaking jackal, a servant from the retinue of Duryodhana, who, with ill-concealed delight, told the beautiful queen that she was now the property of his master, for that her lord, the king, had gambled away his kingdom and wealth, as well as the freedom of his mother, his brothers, and his queen. Draupadi rose to her feet, while her eyes flamed with anger. Return to your master, she said, with all the scorn that she could command and tell him that my lord was himself a bondsman when he staked the liberty of himself and his queen. A slave cannot wager a wife or children, and Draupadi is still a queen. The servant slunk away, crushed and humbled, to report his reception to his master, who put him aside with angry scorn and sent his own brother to command the presence of Draupadi, his slave. This prince was a man of violent temper, and when the poor queen refused in scornful tones to obey his rough command, he seized her by the hair and dragged her into the council chamber, where the wise councillors of the kingdom were assembled with five tall sons of Pandu. She stood before them all, and in piteous tones which smote the hearts of the brothers, she appealed for some champion to arise and avenge the insults which had been paid to her her husband and his brothers were powerless to help her and the other princes, among whom was karna the deadly foe of arjun only met her complaints with mockery karna himself bluntly told her to seek another husband who would think more of her than to gamble away her freedom with the dice-box Yudhishthira bent his head in shame when he heard these words, so mean-spirited and yet so cruelly just, and Duryodhana did not lose this opportunity of heaping fresh insults on the head of his fallen and dishonoured foe. Then it was told to the blind old king what was taking place in the council chamber, and he asked to be led to Draupadi. He was conducted slowly and gently to the humbled queen, and in a voice full of tenderness he said, noble empress, dearest daughter, pardon the wrong and insults done to you by my luckless, graceless son. Ask a boon of me, for I am king in spite of my age and blindness. Then, with many expressions of love and thankfulness, Draupadi begged leave to go into banishment with her husband and his brothers. This permission was freely granted by the old monarch, who wished that the queen had begged a richer boon, but who loved her all the more for the pride which chose to suffer the ill fortune brought upon her by the weakness of her lord and the hope which looked forward to a happy restoration, to be won by his own repentance and virtuous endeavour. She knew that such a man as Yudhishthira would profit by his weakness and his fall, and felt that the future would bring happiness only if he won his way back by his own efforts. As for herself, she was content to suffer with him. So the once proud emperor, with his wife, his mother, and his faithful brothers, went out into exile, now as poor as the humblest hermits of the forest. But as he turned to go, Yudhishthira spoke for the last time to the men assembled in that angry council. He had no word of blame or anger even for Duryodhana, for whom, with his brothers, his father, and his friends, he wished all the good that life could bring. For a while, no one spoke a word in reply. FOR THE HEARTS OF ALL WERE FILLED WITH SHAME AND PITY. THEN ONE OF THE OLD MEN ROSE TO HIS FEET, AND IN WORDS OF NOBLE BLESSING BADE farewell TO THE EXILES. GO IN PEACE, HE SAID, AND ENVY NOT THE FORTUNE OF THOSE WHO WIN BY EVIL MEANS. VIRTUE ATTENDS YOU, VALOR IS YOUR COMPANION, FAITHFUL LOVE UNITES YOU. YOU SHALL ONE DAY WIN A GLORIOUS EMPIRE, GREATER FAR THAN THAT WHICH YOU HAVE LOST. Your exile is a trial to be bravely borne, but it will prove full of healing and refreshment. May the god of battle strengthen your right hands. May you learn the higher valour which aims at conquest of the mind. Tend the sick, feed the hungry, comfort the sorrowing, learn the lessons of exile, and return at last in happiness and true contentment. And even as he spoke, the five tall sons of Pandu raised their heads in proud humility strengthened and sustained by these noble words then they made a deep obeisance to the company and left the palace in silence part five for twelve long years the five tall sons of pandu lived in the wilderness and bore the hardships which fell to their lot with patience which at times was almost exhausted the noble prince Krishna knew of their exile and, true to his character, sought out the brothers from time to time to comfort and encourage them in their adversity. There were moments when the courage of Draupadi failed and she urged Yudhishthira to plot against Duryodhan and recover his kingdom. But the fallen king, in his loftier wisdom, would not be deterred from his appointed course, and instead of seeking to harm Duryodhan, went out of his way on one occasion to render a real service to his enemy. For Duryodhan came to the forest in royal state, with the object of humiliating still further his fallen foe, quarrelled with some of its strange inhabitants, known as Gandharvas, who had the double nature of birds and men, and was captured by them. Then the five brothers sought out the captive and set him free, with the result, quite natural to one of his weak character, that he aided them more than ever. Scarcely was this adventure ended, when another prince, in an unguarded moment, carried off Draupadi, and the brothers were forced to set out to rescue her, which they did with much difficulty. There was one thing which relieved the tedium and suffering of the exiles more than anything else many wise and holy hermits came to visit them and entertain them with tales and legends of earlier days. Perhaps it was on one of the days when poor Draupadi was losing heart that a sage related the wonderful story of Savitri, whose love was strong enough to conquer death, or that other tale of devoted love which recounted the misfortunes, trials and triumphs of Nala and Damayanti at last the twelve appointed years of exile came to an end and the little band disguised themselves to pass a year in complete concealment taking great care to hide their identity from all and especially from the Ryodhan, who was always on the watch to do whatever harm he could to them yudhishthira dressed himself as a brahman and entered the court of a certain king named virata where he was treated with the honour always paid to a priest of his class Bhima entered the kitchen of the same king to serve as a cook. Arjun found it difficult to conceal his identity, but having braided his hair and put on bangles and earrings, became a teacher of music and dancing. Nakula was made keeper of King Virata's horses, while Sahadeva took charge of the monarch's cattle. Draupadi disguised herself as a waiting woman and entered the household of a princess in King Virata's court. For a year the little company lived in concealment, but when this period was just ending, they were discovered in the following manner. The cattle of King Virata, which were in the keeping of Sahadeva, were the envy of all the neighboring kings, and at one time the Ryodhan and a lawless prince, who was his friend, agreed to attack Virata's kingdom from different points and carry off as many of his fine cattle as they could obtain. Duryodhan marched into the north of the country while his friend attacked the southern portion. Virata marched southward in defence of his possessions, and the north of his kingdom was left at the mercy of Duryodhan. But Arjun flung aside his disguise and came to the rescue, as we are now to learn. The army of Duryodhan, under the great leaders Drona and Karna, swept over the kingdom of Virata like a swarm of locusts over a field of standing corn, and drove off sixty thousand head of cattle, the pick of the king's famous herds. Thereupon the chief of the cowherds mounted his chariot and drove at great speed to the gates of the royal palace to make his complaint to Prince Uttara, whom he urged to instant action. The prince replied that he was both willing and able to revenge his father and bring back the stolen cattle, and that, if only he had a new chariot-driver, his own charioteer having lately perished in battle, he would so acquit himself that every one would declare that the famous archer Arjun had come to the help of King Virata. Arjun himself overheard the prince's boastful speech and begged draupadi to tell the young warrior that he would gladly drive his chariot and that he was quite capable of doing so as he had in past years been the charioteer of the great arjun and had been trained by that hero to drive the battle car draupadi took the first opportunity to report this to the prince who replied very kindly to her but doubted whether a mere effeminate teacher of music and dancing could drive a great warrior's chariot draupadi hastened to assure him that he could safely trust the dancing master saying that she had in former years been in the court of the great monarch yudhishthir and had seen the same teacher of dancing and music perform almost incredible feats of horsemanship in the service of arjun himself upon this assurance the prince stifled his doubts and fears and without delay the hesitating leader was swiftly driven from the palace gate in charge of the new charioteer who bent his course for a shady tree not far from the city where he reined in his horses prince he said your bow and arrows are little more than pretty toys look up into the deep shadows of this tree and you will find splendid bows and arrows fit for warriors of renown banners, swords, and coats of mail, as well as one particular bow which the strongest archers cannot bend, a weapon which is tall and slender like a palm-tree, made of wood of hardened fibre, and tipped at the ends with shining gold. The prince looked upward into the deep shadows of the spreading tree. I see many log-bundles hanging from the branches, he said, in trembling tones, and they look like bodies of men. I dare not touch them for my life. There are no dead men here, said Arjun, but these cases, which rouse your princely fears, are full of the weapons of warriors, wrapped and hung in such a manner that they will scare away the timorous. Prince, I beg of you to dismount and bring to a chief and a warrior his weapons and his armor. End of Section 11 Read by S.K. Edison, New Jersey